Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. We are going to start our Advent series today. And Advent is, uh, it means uh, coming or waiting. It's this idea of God's people with Jesus having come, uh, being in our rearview mirror, us waiting and longing and hoping for Jesus to come again and to make all things new and to redeem everything and to put everything in its proper place in order. And as, as a church, that's a day that, man, could not come fast enough for us. Amen? Amen. All right. So uh, I don't just want that to be an idea. Uh, I think that there are times when our culture and our country reminds us that Jesus is not yet on the throne, and, uh, and this week, I think uh, that happened in Ferguson, didn't it? Yeah, um, I actually got the flu when we were uh, on vacation, uh, because that's just how it works, and, um, and so I watched hours and hours and hours of uh, commentary and interviews and all that kind of thing of, of what happened, and, and I'll tell you the thing that angered me, uh, among other things, was one was just the politicizing of, of this issue. Um, it was unbelievable to me uh, to have people get up there and, and utilize and leverage this for whatever their, their political point of view was. And uh, here's the thing, guys. Um, cities and cultures and families and people don't get changed through politics and policy. They get changed when God's people cry out and pray. Amen. And so uh, this is not a statement of who did or who should have or who whatever. This is a state of uh, loud and clear being reminded that the king has not yet come. And uh, I want to just take some time just to pray for where our country is. Uh, I want to take some time to pray for where our city is. If you do any kind of looking, guys, around how we do with true diversity, I mean God-given diversity, uh, Madison underneath the progressive veneer is profoundly racist. And uh, we want to be the kind of church that does not look the other way at that. And we're not going to, you know, uh, do anything but hit our knees and pray that God would change that. And so uh, we uh, are just going to take a little time. I'm going to pray um, for our country, for our city. And uh, I'm going to pray for us, because uh, if we want to see God do anything, we have to be open to him starting in our hearts and in our minds. And so I'm going to have you stand, <laughs> um, because I think that this is an issue that we, need to, that we need to give some time to. And so whatever posture you need to take, if you want to raise your hands, if you want to hit your knees, whatever, uh, but we're just going to pray. And um, yeah. Heavenly Father, uh, I come before you today, and uh, I want to thank you that you're good, and that you're faithful, and that you're gracious. I thank you, God, that you are uh, the true king who does what we cannot do, who comes to us in our brokenness, who lays down the life of his son for the forgiveness of all people and of all creation. And God, there are times where we are very vividly reminded that we are in the in-between, that you have come, but you are going to come again, but you haven't said everything right. And, and this was one of those weeks, God, uh, to see that 
your will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven right now. And so, God, we, we want to pray along several lines today. God, I, I just first want to ask you to forgive me for the areas in my heart that I don't have unconditional love for all people. God, I don't like to think of myself as being racist or bigoted. Uh, God, the truth of it is, when I look squarely in the mirror, I get uncomfortable when people are different than me. And God, that's not who you are, and that's not what you saved me to be. That's what you saved me from. So God, I just want to say, um, I want to ask that you would help me to have eyes to see people as you do. Regardless of their background, regardless of orientation, regardless of politics, regardless of economics, regardless of anything, God, we are people created in your image and according to your plans and your purposes and for your glory. And God, if the church can't see people that way, who will? So God, would you forgive me and would you forgive us? And God, I want to pray for our city here in Madison, this progressive utopia, and we're thankful for our city. We love our city, but the truth of it is she's broken. The truth of it is she's unequal. The truth of it is there's injustice and um, we need redemption. And so God, we just pray that you would heal our city from the ways that we treat one another, from the ways that we divide from one another, from the ways that we think and speak of one another across many lines, God. Would you forgive us? Would you heal us? Would you make our city a place where your name is great? where your glory is pursued. And God, I want to pray for our country, specifically Ferguson. God, I want to pray for that mama today who her little boy wasn't at Thanksgiving. I want to pray for, uh, pray for her and pray for her comfort and pray for her peace and pray for your grace on her. I want to pray for that city as it pulsates with angst and anger. This the God's people will stand up and proclaim the good news of who you are and that you'll heal that city, God. And most of all, I just want to pray for all of our sakes that your kingdom would come. I want to pray that your kingdom would come. I want to pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to pray that you'll come quickly, God. We, we're making a mess of things in all corners of the globe. We need a better king. So God, would you come? Would you establish your throne and uh, would you make your name great to all people, to all nations and God would you help us to be a people who exhibit your kingdom, who love all people who proclaim the good news of Jesus until you do come and that we'll find great joy and great fulfillment and great gratitude in that God would you accomplish these things at our request for your glory and for our joy in the great name of Jesus we pray, amen Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So as we uh, continue in Advent, and it's really a continuation of Advent, uh, I want to I frame up the whole series for us today, if I can. And I want to start uh, by just talking a little bit just about, about my journey. Uh, I've been meeting with my coach and with my counselor uh, around multiple issues, and you say, what? Did that preacher just say he's got a coach and a counselor? <laughs> Fellow traveler, y'all, all right? Um, I've been talking to him just about the way that God's made me and about the way I respond to things and about the health of my heart and about what I perceive as a lack of overarching joy. 
Uh, if you know me, I'm a pretty serious-minded character. Uh, I uh, am, am good at getting things done and good at running my mouth, but I'm not always good at just relaxing and smiling and acting like a goof, right? Uh, I am a goof, don't get me wrong, but acting like a goof is a different kind of thing. And as I've been just looking through my own heart and looking through my own story, uh, I have struggled with the kind of joy that I think the Bible talks being, about being a natural byproduct of the gospel. Whenever God talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, of joy. And so <clears throat> there are times in my life when I have seen that come out more particularly, and those times have been around times that I was supposed to be celebrating. Times that I was supposed to be celebrating. And ha my inability to get up to the place where I was celebrating in that true gut level. You understand what I'm saying? Like, not I went to the party I was supposed to go to, not uh, I smiled when I was supposed to or got the gift that I was supposed to get. I'm talking about the kind of celebration that is emotional and the kind of celebration that's almost involuntary. And so what I've done is I've been studying for Advent here at Damascus Road as I started to go into the Bible and just look at times of celebration. And in the Bible, there are three times where the word celebrate in the Hebrew is used. And every time it's around feasts and festivals that God had given to the nation of Israel to celebrate three times a year. Three times a year in the Jewish culture, there was a feast and there was a festival that God commanded them to participate in and to enjoy together uh, for his glory and for their discipleship and for their development. And so what I did is I started to go down through and just study those because we're coming into a time where our culture is supposed to be celebrating. And because I want to do that well, and because I want you to do that well, and so I think that God gives us some important things to consider when we talk about celebrating in a way that's distinct. And here's how I want you to think about this. God brings the nation of Israel out of Egypt, and as soon as they get out, he gives them the law, which is greater than the Ten Commandments, right? It's just the way that God wants his people to act in distinction from the rest of the world. And one of the things that he commands them to do to help them be distinct from the rest of the world is he essentially says, I want you to be a group of people three times a year, you throw enormous, incredible, fantastic parties. And you think about the kind of God that does that, and, and if you're like me, uh, that's a bit of a shift for me. I grew up in a very conservative uh, upbringing, in a very conservative church, and the idea that God was a celebratory God was a little bit foreign to me, but to the extent that God is so celebratory that he says that my people will be best known for celebrating and for joy. And for doing it in a way that's different from how everybody else does it, not only in the amount of times they do, but in what they celebrate. And so when you look through the Old Testament, if you're taking notes, you can just jot down Exodus chapter 12. God lays out for them the three parties, the three festivals, the three feasts that he wants them to participate in. And there is some commonality in all of these celebrations. And I want you to listen to them. When God calls his people to celebrate, the first thing he does is he says that celebrations are supposed to be communal. In other words, celebration is a time when you get together with your loved ones and with your friends. God seems to indicate that the truest celebration cannot happen by yourself, okay? No matter what website you go to, no matter, you know, how Black Friday went, uh, celebration in a biblical sense happens in the healthiest way 
when you're with other individuals. And so all of these feasts happen in one place and all of God's people went to that place and they threw a huge party together. Secondly, there was a remembering or a commemorative aspect. And so all of God's people would get together and they would sit down at a table as it were and they would start to talk about all of the things that God had done since the last time they met. They would start to talk about all of the things that God had been up to, and they would start to talk about their common story and common narrative and how God worked in their lives together. They would remind themselves and one another of that as they celebrated. And so they get together and they say, hey man, what, what's God been up to since last time? And they start to weave this tapestry of God's work and of God's goodness and of God's faithfulness. And then what do they do? They celebrate that. They celebrate that God has been good, that God has been faithful, that God has been trustworthy since the last time that I saw you or you saw me. Thirdly, there's a theological aspect. The Bible says that you can't truly celebrate something if God's not a part of it. You can't truly celebrate something if the one who makes celebration possible isn't truly a part of it. And so God's people would get together, they would remember together, and they would talk about who God is. They would talk about what God had done. They would talk about who they were because of who God was and what God had done, and they would celebrate it together. There was a future aspect to it. They would get together, and they would talk about what God had done. They would talk about who God was, and they would talk about what they hoped God would do in the future based on what God had done Based on who God was for them together, they would say, and I'm praying or hoping or thinking that all of these symbolic gestures and elements will ultimately come to fruition. In our language, they would have thy kingdom come kind of conversation. And then they would celebrate. They would celebrate that we can pray in a big room full of partial strangers about Ferguson, thy kingdom come and believe that it will and believe that one day I'm not gonna flip on CNN and go, again? Someday, that's not gonna happen. Someday, that's not gonna be reality. Someday, God's gonna wipe away every tear, God's going to heal every brokenness, and God's people would get together, in this case, three times a year, and they would celebrate that someday, someday, that's never gonna happen again. And then out of that exercise, out of that celebration, there was joy. There was joy. Now, when I read through the Old Testament, what we see is that God's people struggled to celebrate well. They struggled to celebrate well. Whenever you read through what was happening when God was getting the most aggravated with God's people, they weren't taking Sabbath, or they weren't doing the festivals, or they were doing the festivals, but just as a formality. It wasn't that emotional, joyful kind of thing that we're talking about. Whenever God's people failed to celebrate well, listen to me, their hearts started to drift from God. And that's a really important principle for you. Whenever God's people in the Bible have had a hard time celebrating well, their hearts began to drift from God. So we come to Christmas. We come to Christmas in this idea that God says, my people are the best celebrators because they celebrate regularly and they celebrate the best things. And as they celebrate, it changes them. And as they celebrate, it invites others. So as we come to Advent, as we come to Christian, 
Christmas, uh, my hope, my hope, and what I'm praying that God does through Advent is nothing more and nothing less than teaching us to celebrate well. Teaching us to celebrate well. And I don't mean keep Christ in Christmas, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that kind of guttural, involuntary, true celebration of who God is that happens in a heart of somebody who's truly grateful. Secondly, I want to talk about the things that I think will keep us from it. How do we celebrate well as God's people, and what are the things that will keep us from it? Now, here's how I want to do that. I want to, uh, I want to be a little bit vulnerable with you about my story, uh, because I hope that it's going to help you process yours, and here's how I want to do that. I want to tell you the thing that was most fundamentally central to my Christmas experience growing up. My mom embedded this deep into my psyche. It will forever be there, for better or worse. And that is, every Christmas, you watch repeatedly Scrooge. For the longest time, I didn't even know that it was called the Christmas Carol. I thought it was called Scrooge, because that's what my mom calls it. And I certainly didn't know that a British guy, or an English guy with bad teeth probably, uh, wrote it many, many times. That was inappropriate, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, Wrote it many, many years ago. In fact, I was saying to my wife, until this year, I have never read The Christmas Carol. I've seen Scrooge 749 times, but I have never read The Christmas Carol. And so uh, I want to to remind us, how many guys have seen The Christmas Carol? Yeah, it doesn't matter. They're they're not all the same, but whatever. Okay, I want to I show you where our culture is. Raise your hand if you've seen The Christmas Carol, the movie. Okay. How many of you have read The Christmas Carol? Right. <laughs> All right. Look at you. Some of you are like, yeah, what's up? I read it. Okay. Fair enough. Here's the story of Scrooge. The story of Scrooge is of a guy by the name of Ebenezer Scrooge. And Ebenezer Scrooge, when we're introduced to him, is in some kind of financial industry. His partner, Marley, has died. He's hired a guy by the name of Bob Cratchit, right? And he is known for hating Christmas. For hating Christmas. And throughout the story, the movie or the book, you see the nephew or Bob or individuals on the street trying to invite Scrooge into celebration. And his, he is infamously known for what response? Bah. Yeah, right. Okay. Bah humbug. And so the story goes that he goes home on Christmas Eve and that he is visited by the ghost of his former partner, Marley, who lets him know that he is going to be visited by three three ghosts. The ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. And the title of our teaching today is the ghost of Christmas past. Here's what happens. Scrooge, we're introduced to him, and Scrooge is a guy who has a very difficult time celebrating. And you're reading the book or you're watching the movie and you're kind of like, What's, what is this guy's problem, right? Why is this guy such, such a Scrooge? Why, what, why is he so grumpy? Why is he so hard-hearted? I mean, well, what's his deal? And so the ghost of Christmas past comes and we see that Scrooge grew up in an orphanage and that his Christmas experience wasn't exactly celebratory. And we see that once he gets out of the orphanage, he's hired by a guy who's a good man who loves to celebrate Christmas. 
And so his Christmas experience starts to go better and start to be healthier, and he starts to enjoy celebrating, and he, of course, meets a very cute woman named Belle who helps him celebrate more. Guys, that's how it works, right? And, uh, and, and they get more and more serious, and then what happens? Scrooge's pursuits and Scrooge's values and Scrooge's, Scrooge's struggle to celebrate send him down a path away from celebration and away from Belle and, in the story, away from Christmas, Dickens, then, makes a very important point that I think is a very biblical one. Dickens is saying, then, that Scrooge's inability to celebrate didn't have to do with anything other than his heart and the wounds or experience in it that were left undealt with. And you think about how profound that is. A, a story or a wound that goes undealt with begins to diminish our ability to celebrate. Let me tell you my own story in this regard. I've told you lots about, uh, I think lots about growing up. I was, I was the, the first son of a bivocational pastor. My parents split when I was 13 years old. My mom picked me up at school in our 1985 Honda Civic, drove me behind a storage unit. I remember the bumps on the big gravel, stops behind the storage unit and says, we're leaving, we're driving to Marietta, Ohio, which none of you know where it is, but it's in Southern Ohio. We're leaving your dad. And from that point forward, Christmas was a different experience for me. If you've grown up in a single parent home, you know how it goes, right? You do Christmas Eve with one parent, you pack your bags and you go to Christmas Eve with the other parent, and then you pack your bags from the other parent and some of the gifts that they gave you, and you go back to your regular house, and it's candidly not enjoyable. It's not enjoyable. By the time I was 19 years old, my mom and my dad had um, fought and bickered and dysfunctioned for quite a while and been in court many times. By the time I was 19 years old, I, I made a decision to ask the judge to rule in such a way that would put an end to the going to court. And so after lots of counsel and lots of prayer, at this point I was a follower of Jesus, I, I came to the decision that the right thing to do was to go and talk to the judge. And so um, I went and I asked the judge for a meeting, and over a series of meetings then he ruled in such a way that, um, from my perspective, my dad wouldn't be able to take my mom back to court. Uh, my dad and I had a conversation coming out of that decision and coming out of that ruling that was uh, not very healthy. He was very, very, very angry at me, and uh, I, I was at him, to be honest. Um, that conversation happened on uh, December 24th. The next day, I went to uh, my dad's house and had Christmas with my baby sister, with him, with my grandmother, and then I didn't talk to my dad for 10 years. How do you think that my ability to celebrate Christmas was affected by that? <laughs> I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair uh, assessment. Uh, if you were to look at my story and I were Scrooge, right, that would be a part of the, the cloudy section, right? Uh, and so 20, 21, 22, uh, 23, I am at this point dating a very cute brunette. And uh, 24, we get married and we start to do Christmas. And I remember driving to Christmas with her and, and my wife is very festive, right? My, my wife is the opposite of Scrooge. Uh, and so she's enjoying Christmas, and I'm, I'm being me. I'm, I'm stoic. And I would sit in a pile of Christmas presents with a good beverage in my hand, with a plate of food, and the only thing that I could think about was that I would not be seeing my dad. 
and that, if I were completely honest, uh, I hadn't seen him, really, ever, and that I hadn't necessarily, at that guttural, emotional, involuntary, uninhibited, unclarified level, celebrated Christmas like I had hoped. Part of my story uh, is that around the holidays, and maybe you'll understand this, my memory volume gets turned up. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In July, that memory volume is down because there's no snow on the ground, praise God, all right? (laughs) Because there's no real holiday anywhere in sight other than the 4th of July, and all people do is eat hot dogs and drink beer and shoot fireworks, so that doesn't really count, right? Um, But as we get a little bit closer, and as Thanksgiving comes, that volume starts to go up. And I start to remember things that I hadn't thought about, and I start to think about things that I hadn't been thinking about, and I start to feel things that I hadn't been feeling, that had been there, that I hadn't really been processing, and then by the time Christmas is here, that volume is all the way up. Maybe that's your experience. Maybe that makes sense to you, the ghosts of Christmas past. The ghosts of Christmas past is just your story that becomes very real and very emotional and very involuntary around the holidays and makes it hard for you to celebrate. Makes it hard for you to celebrate. Advent, then, becomes very important. Advent is the celebration, the four Sundays just before Christmas, and each Sunday, the people of God take an idea, and in fact, an emotion that comes out of the reality that God has come and that God is coming again. And for that week, they focus on one thing about that. The first week of Advent, that emotion is, does anyone know? Hope. It's hope. The first week celebrating Advent is hope. Now I need to explain this to you. Hope is not the Christian version of optimism. Seriously. Not the Christian version of optimism. Thomas Aquinas says it this way. Hope then is the choosing to cling to God as the source of absolute goodness. Hope isn't whimsical. Hope isn't, I hope. Hope is, God is good, and with as tight as I can, until my white knuckles burst, I'm going to cling to the fact that God is good. And rather than looking over my shoulder at what has been missed, I'm going to cling to the hope of who God is in this time and in this place. The first time that Jesus comes, to the earth, he does not come to the nice section of town, does he? He doesn't come to the burbs, right? He doesn't, he he doesn't go to the west side, right? (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, all right? Don't be mad. Just getting a little tense. He, He comes to where people are hurting. His people are being held captive against their will by the Roman Empire, and Jesus comes And Jesus is born in a barn to an unwed teenager. And whenever Jesus is coming, listen to how people respond and think about how people respond. People start singing songs. And one guy in particular says, I can now die happy. What? A baby shows up and now I can die happy. Why? Why is it? 
because I see what's going on around me, and God isn't a God who stays up there and asks me to come to him. God is a God who, according to Eugene Peterson, moves into the neighborhood. And the emotion that is created when God shows up is, God is here, and the story's about to change. God is here, and the story's about to change. So despair turns into hope. And God's people start to think the story as it was that did not have a happy ending may in fact be changed because of that baby. Now we know the end of the story and we know that Jesus comes and that Jesus redeems and renews and we know that he's going to come again. And so let me tell you my story as I just told it to you, if Advent is true, okay? I was raised the son of a bivocational pastor. My folks split when I was 13 years old and at that point two things happened. My ability in my mind to be a part of a healthy family went down the toilet. Secondly, because my dad was a bivocational pastor, my faith went down the toilet. And when the holidays came around, this idea of joy to the world was a stupid idea. (laughs) And how I was going to find a woman and fall in love with her and, and, and create a healthy, functioning, gracious family, I had no understanding of how to do that how I was going to be a part of a group of people who had strong faith and treated each other well and cared for one another wonderfully. I I had no concept of how to do that until at age 16 on October 18th, 1994, God moved into my neighborhood. God moved into my neighborhood and then God began to speak to me not only about what had happened but what could happen now that he was here. God began to speak to me about how my story might look different now that he was a part of it. And now at 36 years old, listen to me, my life is not perfect. I'm a broken man. I'm a sinful man. But listen, there has never been a day in my life that God has not been good. There have been days in my life that life has not been good, but there's never been a day in my life that God has not been good, and that is a fundamental truth that I cling to, and it doesn't create whimsical optimism for me. It creates hope. Christmas then, and Advent then, is the intentional practice of Romans 12.12. I want you to listen to this. Romans 12.12 says this, Rejoice in hope. Rejoice in the ability to cling to the goodness of God, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. The first week of Advent is the celebration that because of the God we serve, we have hope. It is a time where the volume goes up, but rather than that volume ending in despair, it ends in Jesus. Rather than that story ending with, I can't see how this is going to go well, it ends falling into the arms of a God who is good and faithful. This then are the three things that I want you to do this week. First, is I want you to spend some time thinking about your story. I want you to spend some time thinking about your story. I just told you some of mine. That's certainly not all of it, but I I want you to spend some time thinking about your story, and I want you to spend some time thinking about what's coming up around the holidays. If you're a journaler, journal. If you're a hiker, hike. If you're a runner, run. If you're a TV watcher, stop, all right? Um, (laughs) 
but spend some time, Ava, spend some time just thinking about your story. Secondly, I want you to pray that God would restore, that God would restore the gift of hope to your life. This is my story. I'm looking over my shoulder. As I look over my shoulder, God, help me to see you in it. God, help me to see you now. Help me to change the way I think about the future. And then thirdly, most of you are in community groups. If you're not, please get in one. I want you to share that with someone. Share your story with somebody. Share how God has been faithful. Share how God has been good. Share how, what God has been up to. And I think that in that practice, we'll begin to mimic where we started. Remember what I told you about those celebrations for the people of Israel? Not by myself, but together. What has God done? Who is God? Who are we? What God might be up to? And my hope, my hope for you and my hope for me is that this Christmas season wouldn't stop at keep Christ in Christmas, but that it would move into that true, guttural, involuntary, emotional, healthy, wonderful, joyful celebration. And that as we celebrate in a world that's tearing itself apart, we'll be distinct. Be distinct. We'll be a light. We'll be attractive. We'll be inviting to a God who makes all of that possible. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand with me. A couple ways that I'd like you to continue to celebrate with us. One is that we take communion every Sunday. And why do we take communion every Sunday? To remember, to remember what God has done. To remember what God has done and to remind ourselves of who we are in the present because of who God is and what he has done. We sing. We sing because God is faithful and because God is good. And we pray. We pray because we still have questions and fears and doubts. And so if somebody wants to pray or be prayed for or be prayed with, there will be people to my left, to your right. We would love to do that. But join us in all three of those as we continue to spend time worshiping. God, we thank you. I thank you for my story. I thank you for my story that you've always been a part of, whether I knew it or not. You've been faithful. You've been good. You've been trustworthy. And God, I, I cling to that cling to that. I pray, God, that you would lead my heart, lead our hearts, lead this church to a place of true joy and of true celebration. Together, remembering what you've done, longing for what's to come, and we would find joy in that. And we would find hope in that, hope that we can give away. God, would you do these things for your glory? Would you do these things for our joy? And we'll thank you for all of them in the name of Jesus.